Hey there, and welcome back to the Purpose and Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Sato, and I am absolutely thrilled and just so, so grateful for the reception that you guys so lovingly gave me as I launched this project out into the world. So thank you so much for listening and for all of the love notes that you shared on social media. It really does mean the world to me. Today, I thought it would be useful to give you some insight into why impact is so important to me. And in order to understand that piece of the equation, you have to understand a little bit about my story and my journey and really how I found myself in a wide variety of places globally that I probably couldn't have plotted out or put together strategically on my own. But when I look back, I can totally see the through line of where purpose and impact and service consistently shine through. I can see where wanting to make a difference in the world really began. And that journey started when I was 10 years old and my dad came home from work one day and said, hey, we're moving to Egypt. And I remember that twisted up feeling of, I just made the cheer squad and oh my gosh, we're going to see the pyramids and we're going to finally see what it looks like to walk like an Egyptian like any good 10-year-old would do. So after a lot of packing and sorting and all of the stuff that you need to do to literally uplift your life, we flew to Cairo. That was actually my very first flight. And we lived there for three and a half years. And it was one of those experiences that in the moment you don't truly appreciate. But now as I look back, I can see that, you know, those were my most formative years. I was 10 to 14. And it really shaped me into the person that I am today. It changed my worldview. And a lot of that is rooted in the fact that I was in a developing country. All of my friends were Egyptian, many of whom were older than I was. I got a glimpse of what it's like to live in an environment where you don't always have free speech, where you don't get to say what you want to say, where women are often second-class citizens where there are big consequences for putting your ideas and resistance out into the world. So as I look back on those three and a half years, I recognize how deeply transformational they were. And they honestly put me on a path that I'm not sure had I not gone there, I would have followed. When we moved back to Oklahoma, I built a plan, much like I do for pretty much everything you know, and it was to go to college, get the corporate job, become an attorney. And while I did that, not the attorney part, because I realized very quickly in college that being an attorney was not for me, but I followed the path and I fell in love with political science, world history, languages. I studied both Arabic and French, both of which I still speak to various degrees. And I found that I wanted to put myself in international spaces. I could see that we had big global problems and I wanted to be a part of the solution. I vividly recall this moment. I was studying abroad in Cairo my junior year. This was like 1999. And we were in a women in politics class talking about feminism and how feminism, depending on where you live in the world, looks very different. And the professor said something that I have carried with me through every trip, every international experience, every cultural interaction, And she said, you can't import your brand of feminism. And you could replace feminism with many other things here, but you can't import your brand of feminism into another country. 
And she gave this example of how when President Clinton was still in office, uh, First Lady Hillary came to visit and she was delivering this talk about women's rights and advocacy and really trying to elevate women in Egyptian society. And you're probably guessing already that that conversation did not land well. And that's because she was talking about Western feminism and it just didn't translate to an Egyptian construct where culture and religion are powerful forces that we don't experience in the same way in the United States or anywhere in the Western world. There's just a lot of barriers for women to be both vocal, to be advocates. And so that message fell flat. And like I said, I've taken that lesson with me over the years and to various environments, constantly shifting my conversations, the way I interact, whether I am talking about feminism, whether I'm talking about leadership development or business or strategy, whatever the topic might be, right? We have to be partners in process with other people, whether that's in our hometown or in a developing country or somewhere else abroad. We have to be sensitive to what's happening in the world around us. So fast forward, I graduated from college and then 9-11 happened and I found myself as one of only eight Arabic majors in the country working at the Boeing company. And as tensions were rising, as all of this information was coming through the news, I was asked to help educate and potentially change the perceptions of what we were seeing all around us about the Middle East, about Islam, about Arabs in general. And this put me in a space where I was operating as a bridge, really trying to close those perception gaps and shift the way we think and operate about people who are different from us. And that has really been part of the thread for most of my life, this idea of bridge building and really wanting to make sure that we're communicating on the same level, that we're speaking the same language. Because until we're connected in that way, it's very difficult to be in relationship with one another. Throughout my career at Boeing, I had two big chunks. The first was on the military side. In my role there, I was doing a lot of strategic decision-making workshops where I got to see the implications of decisions that were made, what the long-term impact of those decisions could be for national security and on the world. And I fell in love with the process of developing strategy and really showcasing how strategic decision-making can be a very powerful tool in your toolbox. When you take a step back, you get objective and you get to bring all the critical players to the table. That's where some of that magic happens. But as things do, my interest and desires started to shift. I could feel the pull to go back to school, I felt called to move into education. And so I got my master's in teaching and somehow found myself at the Boeing Leadership Center. It was one of those experiences where I felt cracked open in the best possible way. I spent five years supporting leaders in their growth and the development of their teams, of their business, of their strategy. I really love the process of helping people grow into the best version of themselves, like how to be a strong manager, how to lead well. And that process of 
bringing that alongside the running of the business, it was it was powerful and magical. And I learned so much about what it looks like to coach and develop people and how you can use that as a tool, not for putting people down or making them feel bad about themselves, but really using it as a tool to help people grow, like I said, into the best version of themselves so that they can serve and do the work that they were put on this earth to do. As time went on, though, I had a family. My husband and I were both working full-time jobs, and I really found myself craving flexibility. I was in the corporate classroom almost every day of the week, long hours, and we just needed more bandwidth. We had two little kids, both under five, no family nearby, and it honestly felt like we were playing a constant game of Tetris with our life. I remember thinking there has got to be a better way. Like this cannot be our life. And that put me in a place where I walked away from my corporate career and stumbled into entrepreneurship. And like most people, my entrepreneurial journey began by doing much of the same work that I had been doing at the Leadership Center, but this time on my terms. So I was doing corporate leadership development. I was doing consultant work for nonprofits, K through 12 institutions some colleges and other businesses. And I did that for about seven or eight years until a really life-changing opportunity came my way. I had the privilege of traveling to Ethiopia over the course of 2017. And hands down, when I look back at that experience, it was one of those pivotal moments. It was sort of like before Ethiopia and after Ethiopia. It's where I really understood what it means to be the CEO of a company and what it means to address the mental blocks that you have around money about asking for what you really want. And it's also where I came face to face with imposter syndrome and feeling inadequate and seeing how that really shows up in a big, powerful way. The short version of that story is as I was gearing up for my final trip, like literally I was flying out the next day to Addis Ababa, I got an email saying that they needed to place the contract on hold and that we needed to cancel the trip. And I remember looking at that email thinking, what the heck am I supposed to do now? I was relying on the revenue that was going to come from it. That was like a $27,000 trip. I had nothing to fill my calendar, no way to proactively generate revenue because I had focused all of my time and energy and attention on this one contract. And I felt like I had no recourse. It was like all of a sudden the plan that I was operating on was thrown out the window and I went round and around with myself. I remember having a conversation with my husband and he said, don't you have a cancellation clause? And I thought, oh yeah, good idea. I should go look at that. I did have a cancellation clause and it said, should have two weeks notice or full payment. And now all of a sudden it was like that crazy spiral I was on. It just like exploded because I could not fathom asking for them to honor the contract. Like I didn't do the work. And then a series of conversations about how 
men and male business owners are not having this kind of drama about money, about asking for it, about having their contracts honored, it, it shifted something inside me. I got on a call with the liaison and there was this moment where we were going back and forth and he finally said, so you think that you should get paid for work you did not do. And it was like everything had been building to this one moment. And I said, yeah, I do think you should pay me because that's what's in the contract. And there was a beat of silence and he said, okay, I just needed to hear you ask for it. And that phrase was so life-changing because it made me realize how much I had just been operating on autopilot. I wasn't being proactive. I wasn't standing my ground as a CEO. I wasn't owning my role as the leader of the company. And the more I talked with other women, the more I realized, oh my gosh, we are all doing this. We are all acquiescing all the time. And as a result, that launched me into a business that I really loved, where I was serving women who were, in many cases, relatively new to the entrepreneurial space, who were making the leap from corporate, much like I had done many years before. And every single one of them was building a business that was rooted in something that they were passionate about. Yeah, they were still struggling. And they were still trying to figure out how do I work this business? How do I build the right mechanics into the business in order to be successful? But it was also the mindset piece. It was those two pieces together that made me see like how powerful it is to be on a growth journey with another business owner, particularly another woman who is out there really trying to do good things in the world to bring her experience and expertise to bear. So for years now, the last five years in particular, and I do seem to be on sort of a five-year cycle where I get the pull to go deeper and broader, I really felt called to help leaders create more impact in the world. And I don't say that lightly because there's this very interesting narrative around impact where you'll see people, marketers in particular, say, create more impact. And what they're really talking about here in practice is revenue. And I wholeheartedly believe that revenue and money are critical elements of making a business grow. You know that, right? I mean, the podcast is called Purpose and Profit. But profit and money are not the only things. And when we look at what is before us, the challenges that we are facing in the global marketplace, you can see that there are real gaps and we need to be part of the solution. So my heart is really about serving purpose-driven entrepreneurs and businesses that are looking at their business as a tool to help close those gaps. Businesses are uniquely positioned to solve global and local problems in ways that many times governments cannot, right? Governments don't always have the bandwidth. They're often mired down in politics. They don't have the resources or the agility. And so they can't do it. When you look at the nonprofit sector, when we're looking at NGOs, they're amazing. They're doing truly amazing work on the ground in many places, but they also struggle deeply with limited resources. And so that leaves business to be 
the force for good. It leaves it in our hands as business owners to be innovative, to use our resources, to be more agile, to really help close those gaps. And that right there is the heart and soul of why I do this work. Because when we are using our business for good, we are creating a powerful ripple effect that can literally change the nature of the global community, can change the way people are seen and heard and valued in our local communities. It's just so mind-blowingly powerful that it's, it's impossible not to get jazzed up about it. So the reasons I started my business in the first place, you know, that wanting freedom and flexibility, those are still true, but they're not the heart and soul of why I do this work anymore. They're not why I continue to show up day in and day out on social media, why I write content, why I do a lot of things, sales, marketing, et cetera. It's really because I deeply believe that when we equip women, empower women globally to use their unique skills, their voice, and to put all of their expertise out into the world, they can create real opportunities for themselves and others. And that to me is where the game really changes. My goal is to take the lessons from all of my disparate experiences in Russia, working with Anne Roosevelt, yes, of the Roosevelt family, she's Eleanor's granddaughter, Egypt, Ethiopia, working with women, and really bring those to you with the hope that you are able to really examine your business and think about how you want to bring the thing that you are most passionate about, the thing that you feel like you were put on this earth to do, to bring it forward with your business. That is where the real power is. I genuinely believe that business is created for and doing its best when it's doing good in the world. So if this conversation and my story has resonated at all, I really want to challenge you to think about why you're doing the work that you do. Why impact? Why do you really want to create powerful change and transformation in the lives of your clients, in your local community, beyond the city limits. And how are you going to do that? If you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this, that you were born for just this very moment in time. And while there might be a lot of people out there that will tell you otherwise, don't let it stop you. Don't let it throw you from your course. I hope that you will let me know exactly how you're trying to create change in the world. You can send me an email, connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram. Those links will be in the show notes. But I love hearing why you're doing the work that you're doing and how I can best support you. So with that, I will leave you with this. Be bold, be courageous, and go make a powerful impact in the world. <laughs>